Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. Whatever types of writing you do, our goal at Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger is to give you a shot of writing inspiration by picking the brains of all kinds of professional writers about their writing and the writing life. I'm your host, Claire Lynch, and for this episode, I chat with Professor Vin De Silva, a mathematician who also teaches writing skills. In our chat, Vin talks about what makes a piece of writing effective and how he learned to incorporate storytelling into his own communication of mathematical ideas. That's coming right up. So, Vin De Silva, you are a professor of mathematics at Pomona College in California. But as part of that role, you also teach writing. How did that come about? Well, it's uh, so Pomona College is a liberal arts college in, in Southern California. And every student has to take a first semester writing intensive seminar. It's called a critical inquiry seminar. And they have to do a lot of writing and a lot of revision. And because everyone has to do it, uh, the teaching for this seminar is is split across all the departments in the college. So in my particular department, it's a largest department, and we offer two of the 25 or so sections uh, pretty much every year, and I, I usually leap at the chance to do it. So why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, first of all, it's um, it's a really great chance to meet um, new students just as they're beginning their college career. And are they mathematicians that you're teaching? Uh, no, um, the selection for these classes is done in a completely separate way from uh, disciplinary considerations. And actually at a place like Pomona, um, most students haven't settled on a major when they arrive. It sometimes takes a year, two years, three years. Um, I I also love teaching it because in mathematics, I think communication is really important. That's something I learned I particularly learned it once I had to start teaching a lot, which was when I moved to Pomona. And I realized that the approach that I had been used to when I was an undergraduate in university was you present the stuff and you leave it to the audience, the students, to sort it out. And it's like a trial by fire. And there was not so much consideration for uh, whose responsibility it is to you know, the students were left to their own devices. I was left to my own devices uh, to figure out what I could with such support as I could find. And when I got to Pomona and started teaching there, I realised that I had a much bigger responsibility in preparing my classes that I teach. And that that was a good thing. <laughs> um, because if if I work harder to communicate and create a story in my classes that my students can relate to and maybe give them many different entry points to relate to because not everyone is going to respond to the same parts of what my presentation. Then more people have more chance, have a greater chance of, of understanding the thing that I'm trying to teach in my class, in my mathematics classes. And so I bring that, that's actually my central sort of point when I teach the writing class is that uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to communicate something and that takes work and it's fun and it's worth doing. So what might a typical class or typical exercise that you might set the class look like? One of the things I, I do is I set them word-limited writing assignments. So, for example, the topic might be disturbing the neighbourhood and so that their assignment will be on a Sunday night or whenever it's due, to write no more than 500 words 
on disturbing the neighbourhood. Now that sounds very unusual because you, I often get the sense that a lot of students feel they have to fill a word count. So it might, does it, is it a strange experience for them to actually be limited to a word count? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a strange experience for them. Well, for me, what I realised was that I was able to be more effective uh, as, a, as a teacher and as a, in terms of responding to their work when I changed the word count from a, from a lower limit to an upper limit. So when does a person try to fill a word count? It's usually when they're struggling with things to say. And, and then the things that come out when you're struggling with things to say are not necessarily your most interesting output. Whereas on the other hand, if, if I say, okay, it's really got to be no more than 500 words. If it's 501, I send it back to them and I'll say, I will grade it, but you just have to remove a word. <laughs> and I've done that. <laughs> and it's always possible to remove words. <laughs> right. Um, and they don't necessarily think that at first. So, and I think that's a really valuable experience is that you have your thing and you, you believe every, every piece of it counts and there's nothing you can remove. And it's 520 and will the professor let you get away with it? And then my point of view is, now you can really try to choose. Right? You, you have a really interesting choice when you, have, when you like everything you've written and you have to get rid of like 30 words. Speaking as someone who works as a writer, it's a great discipline that you are training them in to hit a word count. Um, <laughs> if they want to be journalists or, or write for magazines or publishers, uh, being able to meet those expectations of an editor is a very good skill to have. <laughs> I'd like to think so. And I, I think also it, it, it does, as you were saying earlier, it does defuse that feeling that they might have that by doing more, they're demonstrating more effort. But that has nothing to do with whether the output is actually going to be something they want to be their best output. So on the topic of that output, how do you judge what they submit other than conforming to the word count? That's the part of this that I think I have always found the most difficult. A lot of my colleagues in the humanities departments have a much, much, much more extensive training with formal writing and with how it's assessed and how you give feedback. Whereas my colleagues and I in the mathematics department, we it's not necessarily so much in our background as to how to respond to an essay. So what what does a typical maths paper look like? Is it is it all equations or do the words play an important part? Uh, so the good writers, which is actually surprisingly many, because I think there are some very good models and a lot of people really are inspired by them. Uh, you have to tell a story. And when I write a mathematics paper, my goal is not to impress anyone. My goal is not to certify that some theorem is proved. My actual goal is to empower my readers to be able to prove more theorems of their own using similar methods. And so you have to, you have to make things transparent. You have to organize things so that the thing that you want them to understand actually seems as easy as possible. I think that's true in many disciplines. Like if you watch a good athlete or a gymnast or something, the things they do, they can do them because they've made them easy for themselves to do. Right? They're not contorting in, 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 in ways that are very unnatural to them. So that's the point of the practice. And in mathematics, I think it's also the same thing. It's you, you have to get your brain and your, um, and your brain also connects to how you respond. So for example, a lot of people who study mathematics in, in primary school or in, in, in secondary school, they acquire a fear of it. 
And that's a very legitimate response to something that's confusing. You're talking to someone who has a fear of mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, I, I, I almost think uh, it's something we should all lean into because uh, I have a fear of mathematics. It really depends on what I'm doing, right? Which what thing I'm looking at. I, I learned later on that certain topics that I had studied, I had, I, I held within me in a very easeful way, and certain other topics that I thought I'd been really skilled at, I actually held with a lot of strain. And so then, the purpose of the communication is not just material. This is especially true teaching in in person, but also when you're writing. Is not just the material, but also trying to communicate that sense of ease and calm around the material. You've also talked about storytelling. Can you elaborate on how you might tell a mathematical story? Yes, I mean the very. It's almost cliched, actually. That you know the, the, the sort of the, the patterns I have when I when I set up a mathematics talk, um, and maybe when I do this in class, what I often try to do is set up a question around which my listeners will have acquired some curiosity. So it could be a mystery. It could be why, when I construct this particular type of geometric object, do they always seem to look like this? Let's draw some more. Oh, that one looks like this as well. And now we have a mystery. And so once you have a mystery, you can then say, ah, well, here's a theorem that explains why this slightly surprising thing is happening. Now... It's quite typical in, in, in sort of maybe less evolved expositions of mathematics to just go straight to the theorem. Or maybe for more technically oriented expositions where you know the reader is going to do a lot of work to create their own story, you just go straight to the theorem. You go straight to the explanation. But what I've learned from my experience of teaching is if you just do that, then your audience hasn't had the chance to live in that space of mystery. Once they feel that there's a mystery, then their brains are much more receptive to what the resolution is. And how do you bring these ideas to your students? Because they, they're presumably in lots of different disciplines. How do you re relate this idea of storytelling to whatever they're studying or whatever exercises that you give them? Yes. So, so, so yeah, right. So coming back to that, um, that writing class, I think the first thing is... Um, maybe my most important point for them is that they have to have, any writer has to have a real sense of who they're writing to. So there is, there's something that human beings do um, almost automatically, which is that whatever activity we're doing, if there's someone else in the room at the same time, we as humans do it differently and respond differently versus a situation where there is no witness. And I think this is the same is true for writing. If you're just writing because someone is going to grade it, the person who's reading, your instructor, they may also be a human being, but also they're a machine that gives you a grade. It's a, it's a, it's a weird situation. And you're writing with them in mind, and that's also a weird situation. You're writing with your, your grader in mind. And what you actually want is you want to have a vivid sense of who you want to be writing for, as if they're in the room with you, and so that then your brain and your full human system of emotions and, and imagination responds to the fact that there's a person there that you're writing to, that you care about what they, they might want to hear. Like I often find, I mean, I imagine you find this as well, that de depending on who you're talking to in regular conversations, 
I certainly find that different people, uh, different of my friends, bring out very different parts of my imagination in conversation. And if I'm writing an email to someone, certain jokes and, and observations and things just flow from me really naturally because I know who I'm, you know, that my friend, whoever it is, is going to get it. And if I'm writing to someone else, I'll, I'll say different things. And so this is why I think the audience is really important with my students to have in mind. So what do I do to give them an audience? So there's a couple of things. One is I, I do include a, a fair amount of peer review. Um, some of it is so that their peers can assess each other. But I think more important than the assessment is the knowledge that what they write is going to be read and will impact the people that are reading it. Um, another thing I do, I think, is in the grading process. So they all get to revise their work a fair amount. And the first pass through when I grade a piece of work, the important thing for me is to give them a vivid sense, as much of a vivid sense as possible, that a human being is reading and being impacted by what they're saying. As opposed to the grading machine. As opposed to the grading machine, exactly. So if a student, for example, has written about some, maybe some complicated domestic situation from their home life in some town far distant from the college, um, and I read it and I maybe I, I think, oh, that sounds really traumatic, or, oh, that sounds really fun. So I'll have that reaction. And just me having that reaction means that their writing has succeeded. I mean, there might be all sorts of things that are uh, going well and or, or not going well in their writing, but the fact that they've created an, an emotional reaction in me um, means that something has worked. And at that point, it now it's on me to then convey that in the feedback I give to them so that they know that this has happened. Because often, if you just give back work with some comments, they have no idea that what they've written has had an impact on, on the person reading it. And so I, I will typically... Uh, write maybe a half a page or three quarters of a page of response. It won't be about grammar. It won't be about um, the details of, of how they could improve their writing. It'll usually be pretty high level. I will focus on... That stuff's not important. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is important, but I, I think the high-level stuff is more important. I'm totally with you there. Yeah. Like, without that... I mean, the high-level stuff is the purpose. Yeah. And I... I'm I'm really confident in my students' ability to, once they have a purpose, then the other things, they will do the work and it'll fall into place. Like once anyone has a purpose uh, about anything they care about, we see this all the time, they will learn all the things they need and, and they will find a way to sort everything else out. But if you're doing something without a purpose, just to satisfy a grading machine, it's much different and it's much harder. Not very enjoyable. For anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you speak from experience. <laughs> so you would typically um, give them feedback and then their job is to go back and resubmit? Is, is that no, that's how right. the process? That's yeah. right. And, and so the feedback will, will be... I will try to make it radical high-level feedback. I mean, it might be that what they've written, I can't imagine doing anything with it because it's, it just works. Uh, and then that's actually quite challenging for me to decide how much do I uh, encourage them to dig dig deeper. Or it might be that I'm reading something and as I'm reading it, the middle paragraph suddenly jumps out at me. It's like some argument with a family member or something that they're describing. And then after that, after, after those three lines of excitement, 
the rest of, rest of the piece of writing suddenly becomes flat again. Now, why, why, why does that happen? It, it, it happens often, I think, because student writers might feel a sense of duty to, you know, oh, we should write about things in a certain serious way. And then they let this little, you know, this little moment of excitement slip in. And then they go back to being, okay, but I really should be writing about blah, 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 blah. My job when I give feedback is to say, that little section in the middle was where I really got excited as a reader. I really want to know what happened in this interaction and, and, and what that felt like and, 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 and was there any resolution and how it impacted your life afterwards. And so I will say, uh, you know, the most, the really fascinating part was, was that those three sentences in the middle, when you do the rewrite, maybe that should be the whole thing. And, and uh, almost always uh, what comes back is so much richer, they really maybe have permission to do what they actually wanted to do, and it's great to read. It sounds to me like, as well as teaching the value of a word count, you're also teaching them two other things, which is one, the value of editing, actually the necessity of editing, and two is, as you say, giving them permission to take risks. Yes, yes. A lot of us, um, myself definitely included, we have little voices inside ourselves that say, you, you should do it this way, like this sense of duty. And I've come to accept that, that I'm never going to be in a state where I don't have those little, you know, nudge, nudges at my shoulder telling me I should follow certain rules. But now that I've made myself aware of that, it gives me more space to, to think, no, you know what, this, I want to make this one count. You know, I want to take a risk here. Or I just want to uh, reveal something. So do you take more risks now in your own academic writing? Do I take risks in my academic writing? Uh, you know, I think of my academic writing as I try to write as, as vividly and transparently as possible to the extent that I want my read the readers of my papers to think that I haven't actually done very much in them, that what I've done, and it's always me with co-authors, that what we've done is not that difficult. There's a famous saying, isn't there, that easy writing makes hard reading, hard writing makes easy reading. They're putting in the effort to make it clear as a writer so that it actually is a nice, easy, enjoyable read. Yes. Enjoyable isn't necessarily always the point. It's like a journey has to be made from the writer's mind to the reader's mind. So someone has to do the journey. And, and I, I'm not satisfied with, with making my reader do most of the journey. Like I want to, I want to get close and, and uh, let them see all of the options. Um, and then the risk is, and you, you see people do this. You know, I also referee papers, as, as all academics are often called on to do. And you see papers that are written in a very complicated way, and they don't need to be. And I, as a referee, I, I, I really emphasize um, simplifying things where possible. But I, I, I get that uh, people are sometimes a little afraid to, to simplify too much, because then it seems like you haven't done anything. It's obviously not as high level as, as maths. But in my work, I one of the frequent objections I get is we're dumbing down. <laughs> I mean, I should imagine it's hard to dumb down topology or whatever it is you study. But <laughs> is that is that the fear, do you think, that it it seems simplistic rather than simple? 
Okay, so there's a couple of things going on here. One is when I hear people talking about dumbing down, I, I sense a sort of con condescension from those people about their audience. It's somehow as if you can make your audience stupider by making something clearer. Anyone I know who's truly committed to making things clear doesn't tend to talk about dumbing down <laughs> because they know how much work it takes. And also there are some exemplary models of clear writers in mathematics and I absolutely adore what they have done over the decades of mathematical writing in the 20th century. Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit my blog, goodcopybadcopy.co.uk, for a wealth of writing tips and to claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That'll Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Your support really means a lot to me because it helps get the show noticed. Now, back to the interview. the most common mistakes that you see either in your students or in fellow mathematicians? In reviewing papers, one thing I see uh, is that people are sometimes a little bit too committed to their first perspective on how a theorem should be proved. Because you look at it and you see all the, all the scaffolding and the sort of awkward corners, and you look at it and you see it just takes a, few, a couple of weeks extra work to to just find the more harmonious path. It's like if you're trying to visit a friend's house and you go there and, and somehow you get there, but that not might not be the, the way you eventually end up going there because you realise, oh, I could have turned left here or I could have turned right here. And in mathematics, it's the same. It's like you, you get a little bit, you can get a little bit too committed to your first way of seeing things and you haven't done the extra work to, to, to really find the smoothest path. And I think that probably goes for all academic writing, not simply mathematics. I imagine also. I mean, my own experience I, yes. of, of writing yeah. academically. And then with students, I think it's a it's a similar thing. And this is why, uh, with student writing, this is why uh, I really try to go for the radical uh, initial uh, response, uh, which is once they've written something down, um, it's sticky, isn't it? Once you've written something down... It feels like it's harder to change it. You're attached to it. You're attached to it. Even if you don't like it, actually. You're... In fact, actually, especially if you don't like it, you might be more attached to it because because the effort of trying to change it brings you in close proximity to something that you're not that fond of. <laughs> <laughs> so so, I, I, so um, this is why sometimes I, 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 I... Certainly early on in the semester and repeatedly I, I say... Sometimes revision does involve starting with a completely blank sheet of paper. And by paper, I mean, you know, Word document. <laughs> and actually, I tell them this. So, so it, it, you know, if, 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 it's a, if it's maybe they've written 2,000 words on something for, for a longer essay, they might not... I find it's very difficult to modify a long and complicated thing starting from the long and complicated thing. Sometimes you need to take a step back. Yes. And they're, they're students with very busy lives, so they don't necessarily have the time to, to, to do a lot of stepping back. There's always the next assignment in the other three classes they're doing and everything else they're doing. 
so here's here's something I do suggest to them, especially if it's a complicated thing. I, I will say, okay, so why don't you create a blank document and 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 set aside your first first draft and re-envision and start to outline a new essay completely from scratch and just see what it feels like to start with a blank document where you're free to to just retell the story like you know. and don't worry because after you've done a little bit of this uh, you're totally welcome to to copy and paste back in the sections from that the, that first draft but what i want you to do before you do that is just to imagine what you would be doing with a with a blank slate just much easier to see the wood for the trees as it were yes yes i have another strategy uh, in a similar spirit when I'm advising my mathematics students uh, on creating uh, slideshow presentations, which is working with the software to make a slideshow presentation is, again, another one of these sticky experiences. Like <laughs> Everything you try to do, every decision you make is on some level governed by how difficult it is to use the software. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's just so much easier to add another slide. Yeah. <laughs> so it just keeps growing. <laughs> it keeps growing. It uh, um, Bullet points come naturally. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sub-bullet points of bullet points yes. come naturally. Yeah. Some of the software is almost, I hate to say this, it seems almost deliberately designed to make it impossible to create good slideshows. <laughs> um, so what I tell them to do in that case, again, so it's a case of, so recognising that, that that's another sticky territory. So to unstick yourself, what I suggest is to create the slideshows or part of it separately on paper or some other medium that works for you. Paper, you know, creating little... Um, what do film directors do? I guess they have these... Um, like a storyboard. Like storyboards, yes. Yeah. So I say you know, st storyboard it separately from paper. Do not constrain yourself. If you really feel that a particular diagram or a particular picture will will take the place of a thousand words, will communicate what you want to communicate. Um, when you're doing the storyboard, you, you're free. You just draw the picture. It's, it's easy. And then later, you, you now have to go to the computer and see, can I realize that diagram and go to the software and try to create it? So I find, I, I find that's very effective because when you're doing the storyboard, you're focused on what is best going to get the message across. And then once you're clear on that, you're in a good position to put in the effort needed to to create the most important of the pictures that you want to want to have created when you get to the computer. If you try to start at the computer, speaking from my experience, I very quickly get overwhelmed trying to create even one figure. There's a lot to do and there's a lot of ways it can become complicated and there's a lot of ways you can fine-tune it that can take days. So so that that process again, it's again the process, unstick yourself and get yourself into the place where your decisions are governed by what you want to communicate and, and how you want to do it. And not by the technology. And not by the technology. So you've talked about giving feedback to your students, giving extensive feedback to your students. Um, one thing that I'm often asked by clients of mine who, for example, are managers, is how can they give better feedback to their writers? What advice would you give to them? Or indeed, what advice would you give to your students when they're peer reviewing each other? What does good feedback look like? There's a couple of dimensions that come to mind. When 
I ask my students to do peer review. Um, I structure it and I structure it to emphasize readers sharing the impact the writing has had on them. So it's a very simple principle that I have in mind, which is whether you're giving a lecture or a piece of writing, which is that you might imagine that you've communicated a certain thing and then your audience or your reader will imagine that something has been communicated to them and those two things might not be the same. And that's not even necessarily a problem. Um, but I find it's very um, eye-opening and actually it, it really expands your imagination as a writer or, as, or a lecturer to realise that what you're doing can land on your audience in so many different ways. So the thing that I think is really important in, in peer review that I emphasise is that I ask my students to, to really, in, in many different ways, share what they got from the writing. So their job there isn't to suggest fixes or to assess the writing, but to report on how the writing landed on them. One of the important things about peer review is, is how, does the, how does the text impact the reader? It's all about the reader. That's what I teach all my clients. Mm. It's been lovely chatting with you, Vin. Before I let you go, can I subject you to our quickfire round? Uh, yes, of course. Which uh, is all about your own habits and processes as a writer. Mm -hmm. So first of all, what fuels your writing? Coffee, tea or something stronger? Um, a person. Whoever I want to write to. Ah, so not liquid uh, <laughs> fuel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, none of that helps. None me. of that helps. I can't do a thing. It doesn't matter how many Red Bulls I've had. I can't write a thing unless I, I know who I'm writing to. When do you like to write? Are you a lark or an owl? Do you like to write in the morning or stay up late at night till the early hours? My habit used to be to stay up late at night, but it's really bad for me. So I, I try to write in the late morning and the early afternoon. And are you a planner or a plunger? Do you draft a detailed outline or do you dive right in? I draft shallow outlines many times. And after I've dived right in, I sometimes throw out what I've done and write a new shallow outline. Until, so that the point of the shallow outline is, what's the story? Would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered? Oh, utterly cluttered. I have many desks because I, you know, the clutter gets everywhere, so I need more desks. Music or silence? Silence when I'm writing because I listen to the music and then I can't do anything. Who's your favourite writer? <laughs> so many. In mathematics, I love Sir Michael Atiyah, who recently passed away. Uh, phenomenal uh, clarity. John Milner is another mathematician. Very recently, I've come to admire... Uh, Michael Collins, who was the third astronaut on Apollo 11, who didn't land, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed, he turns out to have been a phenomenal writer. He wrote an autobiography, no ghostwriters, on his life and leading to the moon and back. And there's an example of uh, someone who conveys humility, humour. You come away with enormous respect for him, and it's his own voice. I think that that's what I really love about it. Really, anyone where I, when I read them and I feel that I'm hearing their own voice. Oh, and E.F. Benson. Finally, your best writing tip. Um, it's the same thing I use for myself, which is really know who you're writing for and why. I think everything follows from that. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It's been delightful having you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Claire. 
you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you could leave a review while you're there, that would really help me get the show noticed. As ever, visit goodcopybadcopy.co.uk for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. Until the next episode, bye from me. Thank you.